0: We're glad that you're here. And uh, this morning, we have an opportunity to uh, begin a new series in the book of Mark. But as we, um, if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn there. Um, but this, we're going to focus in on the story of Jesus. And you know, the, the story of Jesus is, is like no other story that's ever been told or ever been lived, mostly because the story of Jesus is a story that's true. It's not a fable, it's not a tale. It's not something that some guy sat around one day and thought of and said, Hey, this will be a good thing. Let's, let's make up a, a creative story about this man that, that came to earth to do some amazing things. So the story of Jesus is a, an amazing story. It's the greatest story ever. We also know one of the reasons that it's the greatest story ever is because it's about a man like no other. The story of Jesus is about Jesus. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, who God in Himself became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's a story like no other about a man like no other who had a mission like no other. You see, Jesus came to live a life so that he, a perfect life, so that he may through his life, death, burial, resurrection, reconcile us back to God. It is through Jesus that our sins can be given, be forgiven, and our guilt be erased. It is through the work of Jesus that the whole course of history and hope was changed forever. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark. We're going to look at the life and the work and the words of Jesus. And as Mark is is penning and writing this gospel... He wants to make sure that there's no doubt that Jesus was the promised Messiah. That it was Jesus, this man that was have that provides the opportunity to save the world from their sins. So if you would take your Bible out and turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We are blessed this morning. Because just like in the video, we have the whole picture of what God has done. All God's plan of redemption, we have because we have the Bible. We see how from beginning in Genesis, from even before Genesis, as, as God existed, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we see as, as they began to, to create and to make the world, we see that God had a plan to redeem man that soon fell after creation. And then we could see throughout the Old Testament how God was continuing to unfold this plan. And then in the New Testament, the plan of Jesus. We have the complete record. So there's no doubt that we know how we may be saved and how we may be in relationship with the Lord. But as we come to Mark chapter 5... We see that the people of Jesus' day didn't have the complete record. They did not have all uh, that was revealed. It was almost as though they had a part of a puzzle that was not fully complete. So on one side of their life, they could see the Old Testament. So they see how these things fit together, how God loves them and God cares for them and God wants to redeem them and do good things for them and through them. But then on the other side, they have the rest of the table that's full of a bunch of pieces that are not yet put together. So Jesus comes on the scene, and it's almost as though with his life, he is going to continue piece by piece to put things together. But the challenge that people of Jesus' day found is that many times, all they got of Jesus was just a piece. So they saw that Jesus did this, or Jesus did that, and so they had this piece. They had a part of, of seeing the bigger picture, but they might not have known how exactly fit into the big picture. One of the beautiful things I love about the way Jesus went about his ministry is he gathered 12 disciples next to him. And through the course of his ministry, he, with those disciples that were close, they got to see and they got to know. And so it was almost as though they had the beautiful blessing of having many, many pieces put together. And that's what we're going to see in the course of the book of Mark. As we, we travel from Mark chapter 5, we'll probably get to about 9 or so over the next few weeks. We're going to see that Jesus is taking time to put pieces together of who he is. He's revealing himself to anyone that will listen, anyone that's around. But specifically, he's also revealing himself to his disciples. Because he knows there's coming a day when he's going to die. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to go to a cross. And these disciples that he's walking among and with are going to have to take this great commission to the ends of the earth. So he's revealing himself in a very special way. Now we see that Jesus goes into town sometimes and gives them a little bit of himself. Or he's here for a little bit and they get to see a little bit of Jesus. And we're going to see that today in Mark chapter 5. Jesus is going to come into a town and he's going to do something miraculous. And the people are going to get to see just a little bit of who Jesus is. So if we go, if we look at the beginning of chapter 5, we look at the end of chapter 4 because we have to know where we're coming from to know where we're going. And we see that Jesus, and at the end of chapter 4, has taken his disciples. They've been on the boat, and they've been traveling from one side of the sea to the other. And in the midst of that travel, the Lord allows for a great storm to come about. The disciples freak out. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. The disciples go to Jesus and say, Jesus, save us. And Jesus steps up, and he calms the winds and the waves and the sea. And in that moment, he is showing his disciples, he's revealing himself to his disciples that he is the Lord over the deep. Jesus is revealing himself uh, through the end of four, and he's going to continue this on into chapter five, that Jesus wants to show us and those that were there that he is master or Lord over some of the most desperate or despairing situations in life. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying that life was full of desperation, life was full of despair, but Jesus is Lord over all of them. So he, he shows his disciples on the sea that one day. And at the end of that time in which he calms the storms, the disciples come to a realization and they remark this. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So the disciples, Jesus is revealing himself in a great and mighty way, and they're coming to the place where they see who he really is, but then they also see who they really are in in reflection of Christ. So today, what we're going to see as Jesus is continuing to show himself, we're going to see that Jesus is master over the dark. Look at me as we begin chapter 5, verse 1, as we we look at this desperate situation. This is a desperate situation as we looked at this demon-possessed man. Look look at me in verse 1. They, Jesus and the disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been bound with shackles and chains But he wrenched them, the chains Apart and he broke the shackles in pieces No one had the strength To subdue him Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains He was always crying out and cutting himself With stones And when he saw Jesus from afar He ran and fell down before him Let me give you a, a little bit of Try to put ourselves in this situation In this scenario this morning This is a desperate situation, especially if you're looking from the perspective of the demon-possessed man himself. This demon-possessed man was a man, by definition, was dirty, he was filthy, he was sinful, and he was despised. If ever there was anyone that was dirty, filthy, sinful, and despised, it was this demon-possessed man. He was in rough shape. We see one of, one of the reasons he was dirty, and, as, as part of his definition, is that he was a Gentile. To a Jewish person that would look at people, they knew that the Jews were clean and the Gentiles were dirty because they were outside of the covenant of God. They were outside of the promise of God. And so this man who was a Gentile or one of the Gerasenes was in the land of the Gentiles. So he was dirty. He was filthy. We see also that he was possessed by unclean spirits. Because he had demons living inside of him, he was unclean. He was filthy. He was dirty. He was sinful. We also see that he lived among the tombs. The tombs are the place where people were ostracized. He was ostracized from his community. He was ostracized for his family. He was despised. And so they put him in a place where he could be far away from them. But the reality was, even though he was far away from them, they still heard his screams and his cries. And even as you look at his body, his body was the image of dirt and filth. Because through the night and through the day, he would scream and he would cut himself. So there was a visible picture that this guy was unclean. This guy was dirty. This guy was despised. This guy was not someone you wanted to be your friend. A desperate situation. This man was tormented. He was tormented from his mind. His mind and his soul and his body. There was a war that raged every single day. As part of him that wanted to do right, but then his hands would stop and he would say, Get out of me these demons. And so he tried to cut himself or he'd rend the, his body. He would rend the shackles. He was tormented. He had lost everything. He'd lost his family, he'd lost his dignity. And he was in the point. Where he was having the image of God that he bore be destroyed. He was mutilating his own body. That's a desperate situation. This is a man in a place of great and amazing and overwhelming need. What I want us to see. It's not only was this man in a, a, a desperate situation. There was a lot of ways in which people responded differently to this despair. You can look at his peers. Look at how his his peers respond. Look at me in verses 3 and 4. This man lived among the tombs, but no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched them, the chains, apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So we see, what what did his peers do? People that, that saw him one day acting normal and then the next day starting to act a little bit weird, what they tried to do? They tried to control him. They tried to change him. So they, in their best efforts, saw this man going down a path and they said, we need to help. So we're going to help by doing the best thing we know how to do. We're going to contain him. We're going to control him. We're going to try to make him become normal again. And we're going to do this by our own conventions. So they shackled him. And they tried to bind him. And it says there that they could not even subdue him by their own strength. By their best efforts, by their best efforts, they could not help this man. And so they saw the desperate situation this man was in, and look how they responded. Not only did they tried to change him, but when they realized they were powerless to change him, in verse 5, we see that they distanced themselves from him. They said, this guy, we don't understand what's going on, so what we need, the only thing we can do, if we can't help him, we just need to distance ourselves from him. We need to get him as far away from us as possible because we don't understand and we despise him. You know, if this is the way the world always responds to desperate situations. To places of despair. They immediately go in and they try to fix and they try to change, but then when the world realizes that they're powerless to change desperate situations, what do they do? Distance themselves. And if we're not careful, this is a pattern that we will find ourselves living in too as well, especially even as believers of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been there? Like immediately there's someone in your life that's hurting. And you say, you know, I wanna help. I wanna be there. So you go, you rush to their aid. And there's weeping and there's tears and there's challenge and there's brokenness and there's pain and there's hurt. And you step in and you, you wanna help. You wanna make a, a difference. And so if you, you try to help, you say, well, you need to change your situation, or you need to get a new boyfriend, or you need to do this, get a new job, or you need to get a new career, and we, we try to come in and, and help, and we, we try to soothe, and we try to help, but then we realize our words are meaningless, and they're helpless, and so what do we do? If we're not careful, what'll happen is we'll find ourselves distancing, ostracizing that person. Well, I can't help them. They're on their own. Good luck to them. Hope they find what they're looking for. This is the situation of this young man, of this demon-possessed man. Everyone had distanced themselves from him because he was unclean, because he was sinful, because he was dirty. Then we can also see how the demons responded. Verse 5 says, Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I kind of alluded to this already. This man was in a battle. The demons were continually trying to destroy his identity. He was a person that was made in the image of God, and these demons were trying to destroy that. They were trying to take away his image. They were trying to take away his identity. They were trying to make him less than who he was in the Lord. They worked really hard to try and destroy him. But look at me how Jesus responds. Jesus responds in a di- very different way. Jesus comes close. Do you see that? Do you see that this, this man that has been despised, when this man comes, sees Jesus, he comes running towards Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, Get away from me, you evil one. No, he draws him close. And if we know anything about the sovereignty of God and the plan of God, God had a very specific plan. Jesus had a very specific plan. Do you see the planning of God? For in verse 1, it says, Jesus came to the other side of the sea. Why do you think Jesus came to the other side of the sea? I believe Jesus came to the other side of the sea because he knew on this day at this time he was coming close to this demon-possessed man. So he gets his disciples together and he says, we got to go over there because there's a guy that needs us. I'm going to do something great in the life of a guy that's over there in the Gentile land all the way across the sea. So let's get out in the boat and let's go. So Jesus gets in and he hurries over to help this man. He allows the man to come close. And we know that even his time there, if you skip on down to verse 18, you know that, that by the end of this, um, this series or, or this, this story, we see that by the end of a- 18, Jesus and his disciples are leaving. So Jesus, very systematically, and very caring, comes over across the sea to heal this man. And then after he heals this man, he's, he leaves again. And we're going to see why in just a minute. But Jesus cared enough to go the great distance and great lengths to help people that were in need. He comes all this way to heal this man. I don't know about you, but that's what stuck with me this week i am i am a person that is it, it wants to help and wants to be there but you know the business of my life sometimes i allow to crowd in and 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 sometimes i'm like i, I don't have time for this so the people that are hurting those that need me the most or need the lord the most sometimes i find myself distancing myself from them and when i read this the lord just said jeff this is a part of my nature like, this is, what, this is who I am, and this is what, who I've called you to be. So be like Jesus. Go to those that are hurting. But not only does Jesus come a great distance, we see Jesus spends time confronting the demons. Look, at, look with me in verses 6 through 13. It says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he sang to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbered about 2,000, rushed down the stink bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So we see here Jesus confronting the demons. Not only does he come a long way to heal, he has to confront the demons that are there. And so he confronts them. And you know what's what's challenging about these, these verses is it's difficult sometimes to determine where the control of the man and the control of the demons were intermingled. It's hard to tell, was it the man that was prompted to run, or was it the demons inside have been prompted to run? We, we can't really tell, but we know that somehow this man was moved to come before Jesus. And what does he do? When he comes before Jesus, there's a sense in which they know, the man or the demons inside this man know or recognize that Jesus is someone greater. And so this confrontation begins. The confrontation between Jesus and these great demonic forces. They're confronting together over the soul of this man. So the battlegrounds are set. Either the demons are going to win, and this man's soul is going to be tormented for eternity, or Jesus is going to win. And those demons are going to be destroyed, and the man's soul will be saved. That's the battle. Now look at the battle with me here. We see that something crazy goes on. See, this, there were certain rules of engagement back in the day. There were certain rules of engagement that, that both these demons and Jesus understood. And sometimes we, this doesn't carry over into our, our culture or even into our days. Today, we, we don't really understand this as much, but this is kind of how it went. Kind of how it went down. So the demons, sensing Jesus is there, they feel like they have an opportunity because Jesus is just a man in that place and time. They have the opportunity because there's thousands of them. Maybe they can overthrow him. Maybe, maybe they can overpower Jesus. So look at me what they do. When they saw Jesus, they ran after him and fell down before him. Now, they're not falling down before him in an act of absolute worship where they're surrendering, where they're giving up. No, they're coming down before him. But then they go and they use his name. What are you doing? What do you want to do with me? Or maybe maybe they're saying to him, more, more likely, mind your own business, Jesus. This is not your territory. This is not your man. And then they give his name. I say, Jesus, son of the most high God. This is their first jab. By claiming Jesus' name, what took place in in. in this way is, is, is understood that when you use the name of the one performing an exorcism or the one seeking to perform an exorcism it was thought to hinder that person powerless so by the demons saying his true name they were hoping to render jesus powerless so they said his name not as a not as a way of their worship or a confession but a command saying his name, and then they follow it up by asking him to make a vow. So if he's powerless, then they can make a vow, and he has to bend to their will. Do you see that? So they say his name, and then they make him, they place a vow before him, and I jure you, do not torment me. What they're asking him to do is to make a vow in the end, when the demons are called to give an account, when everyone's called to give an account, they're saying, don't torment us. So they're making a bold claim. But if they have rendered Jesus powerless, they could make that claim and Jesus would have to fulfill that vow. So this is a huge battle that sometimes we gloss over as we look at this passage. This huge battle. So they sought to render him powerless, but we see their attempts were in vain. They tried to render him powerless, Try to hinder him, get him to make a vow. But this is their best shot. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus says, Come out of the man, you unclean spirits. The tables are turned, everything is flipped. It's almost as though he's getting ready to give them the the knockout punch. And he even goes in and says, Your words have no power over me. Your demonic forces have no power over me. So come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus goes and asks him, He says, well, What is your name? And they replied, uh, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now this word, Legion, is not actually the name of the demons, but it's more of the name to refer to thousands of demons that were inhabiting this man. This man did not just have one demon, he had thousands of demons. He had a whole army of demons inside of this man. And they don't even give Jesus' his name. So, so Jesus, in, in the performing the exorcism, could uh, call power over them if he knew their name. That's Scripture and some other places say, but we see they didn't even give Jesus His name, and Jesus is like, I don't even need to know your name. Like I don't care if you give me your name. I don't care if you give me a false name. I'm the Lord over you. And they sense it and they realize it. And what do they do? The demons begin to cower. They knew that their days were numbered. And so they began, verse 10, they begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country, not to, not to send them out, not to actually destroy them at that moment. That was their, their plea. Their beg was, Lord, please do not annihilate us at this moment. And so they said, no, send us into those pigs. Give us a place to live. Let us go into those pigs. And so he gave them permission. He says, okay, go. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the stink bank into the sea, and they were drowned in the sea. So Jesus gave them permission, and they headed to their doom. You know, while we were in Africa, we had the opportunity to share stories from God's word. And this was one of the stories that we shared. I remember we were at a, a truck stop one day, and this is one of the stories that we shared with two truckers that were on their way to South Africa from Western Africa. And uh, we were sharing with them and talking about the demon-possessed man. And from what I understand in the African culture, demon possession is an accepted reality. So they don't try to... Um, with demon possession, they don't, don't try to medicate. They don't, try to, they don't have this great medical system where they try to cure people of mental illness. There's no such thing necessarily as mental illness. Everything is demon possession. So they understand that. And so when you share this story, um, how, how the people of Africa deal with demon possession is they, they call the witch doctor from the local uh, tribe. And they ask the witch doctor to come before the person that's supposedly or claiming to be demon possessed. And they ask that... Um, witch doctor to perform an exorcism to, to cast out those demons. And so this is a real story that meets people in real life today in Africa. And I remember sharing this story. And one of the things you do after you share the story is you, you ask the, the people, you say, well, what, what did you like best about this story? What did you find hard to believe about the story? And, and what does this story tell us about Jesus. So in the course of these questions, one of the gentlemen responded this way. He actually said that it shows that Jesus is the one who has power over darkness. That Jesus is the one that has power over darkness. And I asked him, well, what do you like about this story? Or what don't you like about this story? And he says, well, Jesus took the livelihood of these herdsmen. Like the livelihood of these herdsmen, these 2,000 or so pigs belong to someone. That's why he was making his money. That's how he was making his living. And now all of these, these, these pigs are dead. So that man's livelihood is gone. I don't like that about the story. Why would Jesus take the livelihood of someone away? I said, wow, that's a great question. I never thought of that. Like, I never in my mind, after reading this story, year after year, time after time, never did it come to a point in seeing that Jesus was taking the livelihood of some person. But I said, well, what do you like about the story? And he said, Jesus cared more for this man than the pigs. I was blown away. Absolutely blown away that he got it. Like even though he understood the cost of what it took, Jesus cared more for this man than he did the pigs. Oh, we see this about Jesus. We see that not only does Jesus come close, not only does he confront, Jesus cures with compassion. This is the beautiful side of our Lord that I love. Look at me in verses 13 and 14. Uh, so he gave permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd. Number 2,000, they rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea, and the herdsmen fled and told them the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now that the demons are gone, This man's life is immediately changed. Jesus restores this man's identity. Jesus restores this man's dignity. And we see that he's sitting there clothed in his right mind. Jesus cured him. Jesus cleaned him. Jesus gave him new clarity. And what we're going to see in a minute, Jesus gave him a new commission. Jesus does all of this for the man in just instantaneous moments or, or for a few moments. This man is cured. He's cleaned. He's given clarity, and he's now is going to have a new commission. You know, so many times if we put ourselves in the demon po- demon possessed man's position, so many times we we look at our lives and we see that there's brokenness. We see that there's hurt, and we see that there's pain. And many times, the way that we initially respond to our own brokenness and to our own pain, as we try to fix it, we may even go to our friends and we're like, guys fix it please shackle me because if you shackle me or you chain me maybe that'll make me change if you could change my behavior then maybe you'll change my outcome and many times we do that we we ask others to come and help us or we try to change ourselves by our own power and somehow we we believe and and we know that 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 jesus is good but we got to say to ourselves man i got to get myself fixed before i come to jesus like, I've got I to read more of my Bible before I can go to church. Or I need to pray more before I can go to church. Or Jesus wants me to be clean, so I've got to clean myself up. i got to get rid of sin in my life before I can come to Jesus. And we work so hard at this. But Jesus says here and shows us that the absolute opposite, opposite is true. Jesus doesn't expect that we come to him cleaned. Jesus co- expects that we come to him in a place of need, When we're in need, when we understand that we're broken, when we understand that we're in pain, when we understand that we are dirty, our first response should be to come to Jesus and lay ourselves before him and say, Jesus, I'm dirty, I'm clean, I'm broken, I'm despised, I'm ostracized, I'm hated. Save me. That should be our response. Because when we do that, Jesus comes in, he fixes our brokenness, he takes away our shame, he takes away our sin, he takes away our guilt, and he makes us new people. He cures us from the brokenness of this fallen world that we live in. Jesus cures with compassion. Look with me in verses 14 through 20 as we see the reaction to the healing. So Jesus does this. He comes close. He does all of this for this man. But then there's a great reaction. Look with me in verses 14 through 20. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged with him that he might go with him, or be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. There's lots of ways and lots of groups and how they respond to this healing in different ways. First, I want us to see, it's not really in here, but we can read into it. We see that the disciples, they were there and they witnessed this miracle. They witnessed that Jesus has power over the dark. And so this is just, this is another one of those things that's adding, another piece of the puzzle that's adding to their better understanding of who Jesus is. So that's the disciples. We see this man's peers. We see the herdsmen and the countrymen. Now as they see a piece of who Jesus is, this is all they know about this man. All they know is this man comes from the other side. He steps out of the boat. Demon-possessed man comes. He cures the man, but all these pigs die. That's all they know. They see pigs dying and they see this man sitting there cleaned and and all set aside. And so they are freaking out in their mind. It doesn't compute. This doesn't make sense. There's nothing rational. There's nothing logical about what Jesus has done. They know that they were unable to heal. But they also know that they're unable to make sense of what's going on. And so in this process of distancing themselves from this man, they themselves from the plight of this man. Their values have changed. They have so devalued this man and the life of this man that they are more disturbed by the destruction of the pigs than the curing and healing of this man. cared more for pigs than the life of a man and they are afraid and so what do they do they beg jesus to get out of there they said we don't understand you we don't we don't know you you are foreign to us so get out of here because your ways are weird your ways are different so get out of here please leave us and so he does well, how does the man respond? The man responds because he wants to follow. You see, as Jesus is getting in the boat, he's like, can I go with you? I want to be a follower of you. You've changed my life. you radically changed me. I want to know you. I want to be by you. I, you are my Lord. You are my God. Let me follow you. I want to become a disciple. But What does Jesus do? Instead of allowing him to follow, Jesus gives him a commission. Jesus says, you know, my time, and, and the, I, I hope you can see this as we can pull back. We, you can't see it in that moment necessarily, but pull back because we have the rest of the story. What is really taking place is the gospel of Jesus is beginning to go to the Gentiles. God has a plan that his plan is not going to be just for his, his people Israel, but his plan, this gospel, this save, salvation is going to go to the ends of the earth. It's going to be for all people of all times. And this guy gets the opportunity to be the first missionary. He's the first Gentile missionary being able to go. So he's able to go, and what's, his, what's supposed to be on his lips, what's supposed to be on his tongue? Go and tell what the Lord, what God, the God of the universe, has done For you and how he had mercy on you. That's it. Go tell the people that you once were lost. But now you're found. You once were blind. But now you see. Go tell them that. And what happened? I love this. I love this. At the end of verse 20. Everyone marveled. Oh if that were the story of my life. See I once was. Lost, but I've been found. I once was blind, but now I see. I was once was dead in my trespasses and sin, but the Lord has made me alive because of my faith in Christ, and now he's given me a message to proclaim that I once was that, but because of Jesus, I am who I am. And I pray that because of what God has done in my life, people will marvel, not at me, but at my Jesus who saved me. What's going to be your reaction today to Jesus? Maybe maybe there's a a part in your life, just four things to to draw us to a close, ways that we need to respond. Maybe you're here today and the Lord has shown you that you need to realign the value that you place on people. Maybe there's some some things that have been going on in your life where you have gotten into a trap and you you followed the way of the world, not the way of Jesus, and you've messed up the system of value as you look at people. Maybe you have a hierarchy of of people that you care for or or people that you don't care for. Maybe there are despised people in your life. Maybe there's people that would, would come across you on the street and you do this thing. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Because of who they are, maybe, maybe you've, you, you've distanced yourself so much or you've valued people so much that you get that feeling when certain people walk by. I don't, I don't know who those people are to you in your world. But if, if that happens to you, I encourage you, I implore you to take that before the Lord today and say, Lord, I've, I, I have not been valuing people and seeing people the way that you do. I've allowed myself to be distanced from them. So I encourage you, if distance has come, you've allowed distance to become between you and certain people, maybe there's a certain person in your life that you no longer have compassion, that you no longer have mercy on, and the Lord has brought that person to mind. Maybe your, your role today is to give that to the Lord, and then allow Him to allow you to come close to that person. Or maybe today, that as you've looked at this The person of Christ, or the picture we see of Christ here today, is added to your overall picture of the person of Christ, and you've grown in your appreciation for the Lord today. That's a good thing. Like, if you're able to see and the way that who Jesus really is, and today you just appreciate more who Jesus is as your Savior and as your Lord, you appreciate today that He still has the power over darkness, that He still has the power over your dark places. That's great because that's it. That's who he is. Or maybe you're here today and you feel like you're the demon possessed man. Maybe there aren't demons living inside of you, but maybe you feel a distance from the world. Maybe you feel like the world has distanced itself from you. Or maybe you're here today and you're living in some form of brokenness. Or maybe you're living in a place where life just doesn't make sense. And you're looking for answers. Well, that's you here today. I want to tell you that Jesus is the answer. Jesus can heal your brokenness. Jesus can heal your sinfulness. Jesus can release you of all of your guilt and your shame. If you would come to him and lay your life at his feet. And allow him to be your Lord and allow him to be your Savior. He can take your life and change it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the ways that you interact with us in real ways. Father, this morning I'm thankful that you are a God that is willing to come across whatever distance it is to come close to us that you come close to us in the most pitiful, despised, desperate points of our lives, and you are there. Father, I thank you that you are there. Father, help us to, to see you more for who you are, and help us to love you more for who you are, and help us to follow in the footsteps that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.